right. Uh, now let me welcome a man who is once again a New York Times best-selling author, this time for his terrific book, Teddy and Booker T. Also happens to be uh, the co-host of Fox and Friends and uh, one of the most listened to nationally syndicated radio talk show hosts in the country, Brian Kilmeade. Hey there, Brian. Frank, how you how you doing? What's going on? Uh, what's not going on? Uh, you remember there was a time when there was slow news days before Christmas. When what happened to those days? Yeah, I mean this aid package that's being debated now. Uh, I I like the Republicans are using the leverage to get the border. I do think, unlike a lot of people, the Ukraine is absolutely worth our money. I know it's not a perfect democracy, but they have taken out half of the Russian army prior to this battle, just for their sovereignty, not on aggression, just to push them back. And I know this is stalemate now, but all these guys want is just just give them the weaponry to fight. And I thought Mark Thiessen wrote a great column just talking about how this is actually allowing us to modernize our weaponry. We are actually building, having U.S. companies use this money to build more weapons, which helps our economy. And eventually all these Baltic nations will be writing checks. And Taiwan wants to pay for everything. They said they don't want anything free. Yeah. You know, Israel, they, they need some emergency funding, but they're, they're going to pay for this stuff. But, I mean, first of all, um, I, I, it is interesting to me how the the changing uh, goal in Ukraine and the reason behind the Ukraine funding has morphed over the last two years. Initially, it was to uh, to free Ukraine. Then it was to beat Russia. Now, uh, the Biden administration and their letter to these Republicans in, in Congress that are sort of on the fence, they're basically saying, well, this is good for your district. This is good for red states. This is good for the American economy. But isn't the obvious compromise here, Brian, to do what you started to say at the beginning of the conversation, have kind of a grand bargain, have funding for Ukraine and Israel as long as there's funding for the border. I mean, to me, it's as as easy as pie. Yes. And and that's why as much as I'm I'm for everything you just said, the border is such a mess. I don't know. You've been watching our live coverage. Nobody does it better than Bill Malusian and, and Griff Jenkins at the border. We're live streaming this stuff in the morning and these cartels are mocking us. They're, they're cutting out holes in the fence, and they're letting these people stream through, and they're mocking Joe Biden. They're saying, thank goodness for Joe Biden. I'm from Morocco. Thank goodness for Joe Biden. Um, uh, I'm from Romania. Um, what are you talking about? What, that's not way, there's no way to run a country. I mean, do you see these numbers? Do you see how many people have come here illegally? How can you say that this doesn't matter? So also, critics of Ukraine aid, look at, you know, say, uh, well, it's not a perfect democracy. They they say they don't like Zelensky. I have no idea why his height matters, but evidently his height matters to some people. Well, I'm so sure. they say so this little guy and they're mocking yeah. him. Uh, I don't get it. So having said that, you you have to not just build soft side of facilities. I just don't want more judges. They have to have enforcement. They have to change the deportation. You come here illegally. You go right back immediately. Dave Cameron was on with Brett Baer last night. They're sending anyone who comes by boat to Rwanda. And, and, and Brett said, what do you mean Rwanda? He goes, yeah, we have to tell everyone. We just got to send a message. If you come here, you're going to Rwanda. I don't care where you're from. I mean, that's pretty extreme from an ally that we usually agree with. Why can't we just tell people to go back to their own country?
Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that one uh, one bit. Uh, this was one of the issues, well, both of these, uh, the border issue and uh, and the foreign aid on Ukraine and Israel came up in this uh, debate yesterday. Did you watch any of this, Brian? I mean, I think most yeah. people expect this to be the least watched of the, of the four debates in the primary season. What were your takeaways? My, my takeaway was, uh, number one, obviously, they're going after Nikki Haley. They're going after her uh, days on the on the Boeing board, which she said she resigned from as soon as they look for a federal bailout. I have no problem with people leaving unless there's rules. If you leave the governorship, if you leave as UN ambassador, you probably made about $200,000. You got three kids. You got a dad, uh, excuse me, a husband in the military. If Boeing says, hey, we want your experience and international connections, I have no problem with it. If you want to ban people from from going to a major corporation for a year until after they leave the office, all right, go vote on it. You know, see what happens. I worry about sometimes people... Uh, changing policy to get a job after, if that's your thing. But she did nothing wrong. So that was a point of contention. They also said that she was very nice to a Chinese company that came to South Carolina. I get it. For a while, we did not have much of a problem with China buying different businesses, uh, buying different tracts of land. Sobered up. So I wish he would say that. I wish he would just say, listen, I I did not see the, the problem with China the way I see it now. I'd be fine with that when she was governor of South Carolina. But I also thought that Chris Christie took Vivek apart. I thought Vivek Ramaswamy's foreign policy is absolutely terrible. But he allows a foil for people to, to go off on. But the personal attacks on Nikki Haley, Chris Christie fighting back, I think, showed his posture that he thinks Nikki Haley's going to emerge over DeSantis. And I think he wants to be tight with her. So I don't know if you saw that moment when he just basically stuck up with her because Vivek was going after her personally. I thought Don DeSantis was really strong, too. So I thought it was a very good debate. Uh, you know, they are. this is the last one before Iowa. But the f- most fascinating thing, Frank, was when asked to go after Trump. They said, you know, he's not the same guy, but they never said he was incompetent. Chris Christie says he is incompetent. He's going to be right, and a dictator. I, I agree with right. you, Ewan. He's not going to be a dictator. I mean, that's not, that's not a worry. To leave after four years is not a worry. If you don't like his style or that he, you feel as though these court cases will keep him from the campaign trail, I think that's legitimate. Yeah, I just um, I just kind of wonder what the point of all these debates is without Trump, who is even under four indictments, the prohibitive favorite to be the nominee. Even if he's convicted, even if he's in a jail cell, he's going to be the nominee and he's not participating. So it's it's just uh, to me, it looks like uh, a JV JV squad. They don't have a choice, though. I mean, if you're them, you can't make Trump show up. Right. You're kind of shocked that he's up by 30. So I don't think many people thought when this started, when Governor DeSantis did so well and a lot of the candidates that Donald Trump supported did so poorly, that this would be the case. And I think there's a strong case that all these court cases just made the American people go, this is ridiculous. You know, he wasn't perfect, but this is overdone. You waited two years to do it. You you timed it perfect. We're not stupid. We know exactly. You're not going for justice. You're going to destroy this guy. And did you see Bill Burr? I'm sure you didn't, Frank. You're working. But they just gave, sent me cuts of Bill Burr last night with Jimmy Kimmel. And he basically is not a fan of Donald Trump. But he says, you liberal idiots have totally, you've reignited him. You have made him a martyr. He is now more popular than ever. We were done with him. And now he is back. 
and Jimmy Kimmel just had nothing to say. Right. Well, he what knows can you say to that? He was the Pied Piper of this. Right. That's true. It's, it's absolutely true. Hey, speaking of uh, President Trump, President Biden is uh, getting a lot of attention for some uh, comments that he made at a, at a fundraiser in private where basically he said that if Trump weren't running, he doesn't know that he would be running again. Couldn't believe and, it. And yeah. then he was uh, asked about this again. They do the thing where they shout questions to, to him as he's entering an airplane or exiting an airplane, and he said, no, 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 at this point he's definitely running no matter who the nominee is. I thought this was a very honest response by Biden, the initial one. What what did you think? Maybe honest, but I mean, how many more years of experience does he need before he starts getting wise about what's going to help him and what's not going to help him? Number two is he also said yesterday that he doesn't think he is the only one to beat the only Democrat that can beat Donald Trump. And does anybody think that he's a strong candidate? Absolutely nobody. But he won't step aside. And then he says, I'm the only one to beat Trump. And most Democrats think that they could beat Trump. You know, you can tell me Gavin Newsom and Pritzker and uh, Jared Polis and Kamala Harris don't think they can beat Trump. They all do. And they must be saying to themselves, how long are we going to keep quiet? Ted Kennedy didn't keep quiet. He thought Jimmy Carter was weak. He stepped up. You know, Pat Buchanan did not think Bush 41 was a strong president. He stepped up, you know, and he created some havoc. Uh, in you know, for his election and his original nomination, I just don't understand why these Democrats are so timid. I mean, except for this congressman from uh, Minnesota. I, I mean, I just don't understand why they're standing on the sideline. You know, you you saw that he the other day he couldn't leave the stage again, mm-hmm. and then yesterday, uh, I don't know, Frank. I don't know if this is getting enough attention. At the end of his remarks, asking for an aid package, he was asked about your emails. He didn't say, you know, your pseudoname using this name Peters shows that you were directly interacting with business partners of Hunter Biden, your son. He said all lies. It's not a lie. Now there's thousands more emails handed over yesterday. We haven't even seen them yet. We're about to see them. These are direct contacts with Eric Sherwin and other people using a pseudo email, pseudo email when he was vice president and he was in private practice. He is lying again and getting away with it. I mean, he looked in the camera and said, Fit 51 Intel agent said, this is not my son's laptop. This is Russian disinformation. When he knows those were his emails and his voicemail to his son on that laptop. He lied on that debate and it got him through it. He is lying again. I'm not for impeachment. I'm for the investigation. Impeachment's a waste of time. I'm for the investigation. They are proving this guy is corrupt and all his answer is, all lies. So look for that to develop today. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be uh, eager to see where where that goes. Hey, speaking of the presidential race, uh, someone, the latest person who has now said they're open to running as a third party candidate, specifically for the reason of stopping Donald Trump, is is Liz Cheney. Now, I'm, I've been very eager to ask you about this because I think Liz Cheney's view of foreign policy, very, very hawkish and a lot of different issues. It's much closer to your view than it is mine. How do you view this Liz Cheney threat? Is this just a ploy to sell a book? Or do you think there's actually something to this? She's clueless. She couldn't get elected in the most Republican state in the country at a seat where she's got the most famous last name. I'm a big fan of her dad. I I got along with her great when she was here. She got along with Donald Trump on 97, maybe, okay, let's say 90% of everything he did. 
she was uh, she was on board with it. She was going to be speaker, no question. After Kevin McCarthy was done, she would have been a wise choice, not with this ouster, but uh, she would have been a wise choice. And but January sixth was her uh, was her uh, no go zone. All right, fine. But what she's done since, I think, is ridiculous. I mean, she actually thinks that Rachel Maddow likes her. She actually thinks all these Democrats interviewing her like her. The View like her. They only tolerate her like they do Michael Cohen because it's anti-Trump. They disagree and she disagrees with them. She's tough as nails, but she has no base. She's got no popularity. She's not respected on the left. And now she's not respected on the right. There is no lane to be anti-conservative and anti-Trump and do your first interview with Rachel Maddow. I don't care how many books you sell. So she could run. She'll get let. She'll Jill Stein will outplay. I, I completely her. agree with you. Again, if she's the Republican on this no labels bipartisan ticket, I, I don't think she wins over. I think she wins over almost nobody. Her. Nobody. Yeah, you're exactly right. Hey, um, when you were on the program last week, I asked your prediction on whether Kevin McCarthy would run for reelection. Or not, and I guess this is why we don't have you do football picks. You said that you thought he would absolutely run for re-election. He's now saying that not only is he not going to run for re-election, he's leaving Congress by the end of the year. Um, where do you think this leaves Kevin McCarthy? Where do you think this leaves the House Republicans? They're now going to have only a two-seat majority once he resigns. Well, I mean, I think he's going to finish out his term, right? No, he's, he's leaving uh, before the end of the year. Well, that's interesting. I thought he was finishing out his term when it originally crossed yesterday. Um, I find that I find that uh, I think he's, this is a delay of game. If a Republican wins, he joins that cabinet as chief of staff, whether it's Trump or uh, or Nikki Haley. If you want someone to negotiate Congress and get something through and tell a president what is possible and what is not, it's him. Also, I think he'd be a great deputy, if not the secretary of state. Chief of Staff, National Security Advisor, his knowledge of international relations is off the charts. His connections and respect abroad really took me by surprise. But in talking to him off camera, I mean, that's where he really that's what he really loves, believe it or not. He loves the Middle East. He loves talking to Europe. He loves the challenge of China and his knowledge and courage and energy is his kids are older now. He'll have uh, full time to get it there. No, none of it. You know, he didn't have family tearing at him like uh, Tom Cotton did, which is the main reason he didn't run. Or Governor DeSantis would have a real tough decision. You know, if he was had to run around the world as Secretary of State, he does not have that issue. So, if a Republican wins, look for him to be there. And you are telling me something I didn't know. I didn't know he was not going to fill out his term. That is unbelievable. But it's but it's a very Republican district, so I think the seat is somewhat safe. Unlike. The seat right by me with Tom Swazi's running for. That's going to be a tough haul. Uh, yeah, that is uh, that is for sure. Uh, Brian, before I let you go, I want to encourage everybody to listen to you on radio and uh, on uh, see, watch you on television. And if people haven't checked out uh, Teddy and Booker T, they absolutely should. You are a uh, lover of history, and the books that you've written have sort of gone in chronological order from the birth of the Republic to the dawn of the 20th century, which is what you're up to now. If you continue at this pace, pretty soon you're going to be at Pearl Harbor and World War II. Uh, today is obviously the day that did live in infamy, December 7th. Give me your take on uh, Pearl Harbor and the parallels to other events that you might have covered, including September 11th, including October 7th. 
What a great question. I mean, it was just we had almost the military was not. I mean, it wasn't as bad as World War One, but World War Two, we were not ready to fight a war. We converted everything, went to the war footing. Uh, women went and took men's jobs. Everybody immediately went to a draft. Uh, tens of thousands would die almost immediately. We take on all-out war on two fronts. Uh, can you imagine this? Uh, uh, being fighting in the Pacific and fighting in Europe and thousands dying and, and knowing that the, every house next to you, to your right and left on Christmas, as Christmas comes up, knowing that Somebody was serving overseas and hard to even keep pace on who survived and who's wounded. I couldn't imagine that moment, but it was galvanized the whole country in one direction. And what happened afterwards brought us to this moment. But I just wonder if this administration after December 7th would be uh, wondering if we could talk our way through it or thinking twice about what we do next. I mean, we we have a lack of decisiveness, the way we're looking at uh, uh, victims, and we are wide open as targets right now in the Middle East. What happened in Afghanistan, uh, the equivocating on Ukraine, if, if it's not uh, the invasion of Czechoslovakia and not, uh, you know, giving up uh, the invasion of Poland. That's that's what this is. You have before our eyes Iran, China, Russia, North Korea every day reinforcing their bond, and they're saying, guys, we just put on the same jersey. They just rolled the ball out. At stake is the future of the world. Let me know if you want to play. And we could still stop it, but we're still sitting on the sidelines as if we didn't learn anything from December 7th. And I think about Christopher Ray this week testifying, saying alarm bells are going and sirens are going off everywhere, almost like uh, the day before 9-11, 9-10. So the FBI is saying, don't blame me if something happened. I told you so. We're seeing the, our, our guys on the march saying, we told you we're combining. We actually had meetings. And the meetings that Hamas had with Russia and the way Russia is benefiting from the world looking at Israel, no longer looking at Ukraine, it is playing out perfectly to our enemies. I just wish we'd wise up and start getting involved strategically and not just <laughs> reacting politically. Brian, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the uh, the time this morning. I look forward to chatting with you next week. Thank you. All right. Go get him, Frank.